Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. So, playlist, man. Playlist. Love, love it, love it, love it. Um, I think the reason why I love this sermon series a lot is because we're going to be tapping into something that Jesus did often when he communicated. Now, I know a lot of you know that Jesus is a powerful, was a powerful, is a powerful communicator. And when you can raise people from the dead, like, people are going to listen to what you have to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, if my opening line is, look at Lazarus, and then, you know, if I've got holes in my hands, you got my attention, right? And so he was a powerful communicator. What a lot of people don't know is that he was equally a great uh, creative communicator. Oftentimes, Jesus would pull things or point to things like sheep or fig trees or boats, and he would use them to make his point and, and, and communicate spiritual truths. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus did that is because he loved to leverage culture to speak to culture, because culture in itself is a language. And when you can speak the culture, I think it's almost like a, like a medium to get, to get that, 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 that message that you're trying to get across. And, and today we're going to be leveraging one of the most powerful forces in culture known to man. It surpasses wherever you were born, whether you're a northerner or a southerner, whether you're a west coast or east coast, whether you are Midwest, uh, whether you are black, white, Hispanic, wherever you come from, everyone loves music. Isn't that right? Maybe you don't. I love music. Um, I love music. I, now, I didn't say that everyone loves the same type of music. I said that everyone loves music, right? Like, there are people that like different styles of music, and that's cool. Like, make some noise if you love some good rock and roll, some, some rock and roll. Okay? Good. Uh, make some noise if you like uh, hip-hop. You're big into hip-hop. Okay? Make some noise if you're into jazz. There's always a greater response for jazz than I anticipate. At the 930, half the church was a jazz fan. I'm like, really? Really? I've never guessed that. Okay? Uh, raise your hand or make some noise if you're a big fan of like EDM, like house music, like that kind of scene. Okay, good there. All right. Any polka fans? Polka, you know. Polka. These guys love polka right here in the middle. Irish folk dance? Anybody? Irish folk dance? I'm just kidding. Um, no, we're just getting crazy. But we all love music. And I think the reason why we love music is because, you know, I might not know you and you might not know me, but you'd be like, oh, did you hear that song? Yeah. And then there's like a friendship, right? Music is a bridge. I remember when I first was trying to get to know Liz. Um, you know, I was trying to get in her head, you know, trying to figure out what she liked, you know, because I knew the only chance I was ever going to have with this girl who was way prettier than I was handsome was, um, was, was, was game. You know what I'm saying? I had to make her laugh and I had to spit just crazy game because I know I wasn't the most handsomest. And so then I'll just tell you right now, like, you know, if you're ugly, you need game and you need Jesus <laughs> to, to, get, to get the person that you're, to get the person that you want. I'm just, just playing. I'm just playing. Church, you're having fun. I'm just kidding. We're all beautiful in God's sight. Amen? Amen in, in God's sight. Anyway, so, um, so I, I knew I had to do something. So I was like on the call phone with her, and I was like, hey, so um, tell me what kind of music you're into. And she was like, oh, I'm a real big fan of eclectic. I was like, okay. I had no idea what that was, but I pretended like I did. I was like, yeah, me too. Totally, yeah. 
And then I went home and I got on my, you know, internet and I got an iTunes playlist and I just Googled, like, you know, styles of music. I was like, eclectic. And I found all these bands and I made this, like, crazy, like, hour-long playlist of, like, eclectic songs. And she got in the car one day to go to the date and I was like, how you doing? Let's just play my songs that I, that I listen to often. <laughs> and the music started playing and she looked at me she's like, what's this? <laughs> I was like, this is eclectic, girl. It's eclectic. It's what you like. She's like, oh, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, there you go. That <laughs> kind of collapsed, right? But I was trying to make a bridge. I was trying to build a bridge through our appreciation for music. And that's what we're trying to do in this sermon series. We're trying to make a bridge between spiritual truths and your life. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about some of the popular songs uh, that we've been hearing recently and try to create a bridge to try and build spiritual truths into your life. And honestly, one of the, my hopes is that one day in the future, you'll hear this song again. And you'll remember this message. You'll be able to recall the truth that God spoke into your life that moment. So everybody will hear this, but you'll hear what God said and spoke into your heart. And today I want to speak to a special audience. Today I want to speak to those who struggle with their confidence. I want to speak to those who struggle with their self-worth or their self-esteem. Those who are self-conscious. Maybe it's because of their physical appearance. Maybe it's their weight or their height or their skin color or their, the texture of their hair. Um, maybe it's not the scars on the outside that you're embarrassed about. Maybe it's the scars on the inside. Maybe it's an internal beauty that you have something wrestling with. Maybe you feel like you're not talented enough, or you're not good enough, or you're not smart enough, or you're not funny enough, or witty enough, or, or, or you're not, um, you know, just wise enough, or maybe you're not spiritual enough, and there's things on the inside that you're wrestling with. And in summary, uh, this sermon is for anybody who feels less than. Come on, and I raise my hand, and I'm nodding my head because I'm expecting an amen, because the honest truth is that's probably all of us. Amen? I think every one of us, to some extent, um, feel like we're less than. And, and my goal this morning is to convince you that you are more than, not less than, but more than in Christ Jesus. I don't know how you came in here, but I want you to leave with confidence. That's my goal. If you can leave this room with your head held high in who Jesus Christ says you are, I know that I've won. Because here's the devil's strategy. The devil can't steal your salvation, and he cannot steal your purpose. But if he can rob you of your confidence, he'll get both in one shot. Because it's your confidence that enables you to live life to the fullest of your potential. So I want to make sure you got here confidence. I'm not, I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about arrogance. But I want you walking out of this room today like you know something that the rest of the world don't know. And so we're going to get into that a little bit. And so to introduce the title of my message, I'm going to give you the first seven lines of the song that we're, six lines, of the song that we're going to be speaking from today. The title of this song is also the title of my message. And it goes like this. Save your answer if you know the answer of the song. Don't shout it out. Just wait till the end. I will ask you. Um, and so here's how it goes. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. Anybody know the title of this song? <laughs> this, is, this is me is the title of that song, and it's also the title of my message this morning. This is me. Tell three people, this is me. This is me. But tell them like, like you're proud of who me is. This is me. This is me. This is me. Um, if you're not familiar with the song, it's from the hit movie, uh, The Greatest Showman, which is a great movie. I recommend you all watch it. It's a great, 
great film. And in the film, it's pretty much about uh, these individuals who are ostracized by society for their various deformities and physical appearance. And at this point in the song, where they, the movie, when they begin to sing this song, it's the moment where they kind of shake off other people's opinions about themselves and kind of just embrace um, who they are and who God made them uh, to, to be. And while we probably cannot relate with the bearded lady or the 500-pound man, or maybe we can, I'm not sure, but while we might not be able to relate with them, I think one thing that we can relate with is the feeling of being a misfit, the feeling of not having a place, the feeling of not measuring up um, to the rest of society, like you're not good enough. Like I said before, whether it be outside or inside, things that inside make you feel like I'll never be there. And, uh, and if that's you, I want to encourage you. This is actually a great rule of thumb anytime you feel a negative emotion. The one question you've got to ask yourself whenever you feel a negative emotion, whether it be insecurity or anxiety, honestly, it's the same question is, where's that coming from? And you take a second to think about your day. Take a second to think about what you've been listening to. Take a second to reflect. And you're going to oftentimes find the source. And when you find the source, you can shut down the source and kind of resolve the problem that way. And I think when you begin to ask this question, well, the song does a great job of highlighting it. I want to read the, the, the first seven lines of that song again. But this time I want to highlight something that I think is significant. Look at the source of the insecurity. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say. Because they say, we don't want your broken hearts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away. They say, because they say, no one will love you as you are. You really don't know what to be self-conscious about until you meet they. Because they will tell you what's wrong with you. I remember the first time I ever felt being self-conscious, I was in the fifth grade. And there was this girl I had a crush on and I was trying to impress. I won't mention her name. It was Allison. That was her name. <laughs> only mentioning it because she messed me up and she deserves it. So um, it was Allison was her name. And, and I was trying to impress Allison. And so I was, we were sitting at lunch on the lunch table. She was on one side, I was on the other. And I was just making a lot of jokes, you know, a lot of jokes. And Allison was having a good time, just laughing. And I'm like, oh, man, this is really going well. And then she laughed really hard, a little harder than the joke called for, and looked at me and said, um, <laughs> you, you got really big ears. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. And I didn't know how to respond because I didn't know if she was like laughing with me or at me. And so I did what any fifth grader would do in that situation. You have big ears. And I went home and I looked at the mirror and I'm like, I want to know if what Allison said was true. Nobody ever told me I had big ears before. My mama never told me that. My daddy never told me that. They loved me and hugged me, told me I was beautiful. So I get in front of the mirror, and I'm like, oh, my God. I really, really do have big ears. And then when I really knew I had big ears was when I learned that I can do things with my ears that other people can't do. Pay attention. Look real closely. Can you see it? Is it? Can you see it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I got a problem. I mean, if I do it hard, I could probably take off if I go hard enough. I just. <laughs> when I realized I could do that, I'm like, snap. I have big ears. And so then I would work on it, you know, trying to hide it. So, like, I realized that there's two positions my ears can be in, the relaxed big version, or I can actually pin them back if I work hard enough. Like, look, boom. <laughs> big ears, regular. Big ears, normal. 
Because normal. And so I would meet people. And ever since the fifth grade, I'd meet them with my ears to be hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. My name's JJ. I'd just hold it, the whole conversation. We were meeting them. It wasn't until Liz said yes after I proposed, I was like, I need to tell you something about myself. The day after we got married, I took her out to coffee. I said, listen, I got to show you something. She's like, what? I was like, I've been holding a secret. She's like, what? I'm like, I've been holding it for 16 months. <laughs> Do you love me? She's like, of course I love you. I was like, oh. But then she said something that made me think that wasn't as genuine as it. She said, oh. She said, that's you. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's not the answer I wanted. I either wanted, I never noticed, or you don't have big ears. She said, that's you. And I was like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So, you know, and, uh, and, and, and so it wasn't until then. I really didn't see or capture the, the power of they and their opinion also, even until just a couple of weeks ago. Like, just some background information. I lead a men's small group at, at my house. I love small groups. Make some noise if you're in a small group. Come on. And you love your small group? Some noise. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get one. You can join. Doesn't matter how late in the semester, you can join. So my men's small group is a, it's a men's small group, and it's pretty serious. Like, the name of my men's small group is Freedom. So we talk about stuff. And we're in the living room, and they always come about the same time my kids are getting ready to go to bed. And, you know, there's, if you're a parent, you know that bedtime is equivalent to bath time. And so they're getting ready to go to bed by taking a bath. And now my living room is full of men, and we're having deep talks. And, um, you know, the way my living room is, is set up is there's a couch on the first floor, and then I've got, like, a second floor, and, and then I've got, like, um, stairs, but i got rails, you know, in the stairs, is the stairs. And so Justice and Zane, they just, they come out of their room like we're in serious talk and just buck naked. Just completely in the nude, just like, hey guys, <laughs> holding on to the rails. Like, How you doing? It's good having a fun time with us, yeah? You having a good meeting, dad? You having a good meeting? Just naked, four and six, just naked. You get a good meeting? I'm like, bro, put some clothes on, man. Get out of here. What's wrong with you? You don't walk outside naked. Some clothes on. Everybody in my group is like, nobody <laughs> wants to see, nobody wants to peek, you know? And, uh, and it's amazing. Have you ever noticed how quick kids are to get naked, stay naked, just be naked? They can go to Walmart. They go to Walmart naked. They can come to church naked. They come to, They don't care. They're totally free, right? And I got to believe one of the reasons why they're so free is because they haven't met enough they yet. People who haven't yet warped and polluted the image that they have of themselves. Not yet. They haven't met they. That's number one. And number two is they have no shame. They have no shame, man. And, and I want to talk about shame for a second because when I talk about confidence, you got to understand shame because confidence will tell you amazing things about yourself, but shame will always be there to shout louder than your confidence. So if you understand where shame comes from, you can also oftentimes diffuse um, if you understand where shame comes from, you can also often diffuse it and, and, and be confident. And so let me talk about shame for just a moment, because again, when you figure where that comes out, it helps you be more confident. The first time we ever see shame is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Adam and Eve have been warned by the Lord not to eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they disobey and they go behind God's back and they do it anyway. And when they eat the fruit, it's amazing what happens. I'm going to put it on the screen and you can see it at that moment. Bible says their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. That's the first time we ever see shame in the Bible. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Here's a couple of things I don't understand 
about this passage. And I gotta be honest, when I don't understand things in the Bible, I actually enjoy that because I feel like there's a truth in there somewhere that God's asking me, the Holy Spirit's asking me to dig up. And so I put myself in Adam's shoes and I'm like, or I guess he didn't have shoes because he was naked, but I put himself in his feet and I put himself in his feet. This is high quality Christian comedy. You need to appreciate this, okay? I work on this stuff. And so um, I put myself in Adam's feet and, and Adam is there and I just don't get it. I guess what, one of the reasons why I don't get it is like, but he's always been naked. Did anybody else think that when they read the story? Like, what do you see now that you didn't see before? And I'm playing it in my mind, and he's grabbing the fruit from Eve, and he's like, You know, I'm like, but I don't get it. Like, you were naked. Like, I can imagine if you had clothes on and then they came up, but you were naked the whole time. Nothing has changed. And not only that, why are you ashamed of your body? You're the first people God ever made. That means you're the template. Like, you know how that game telephone works? Like, by the time you get to the end, it's not what it was in the beginning. That's my body, and that's your body. Like... What God intended in the beginning, we are not, but, but when he built it, he intended it. Like, I'm talking about before sugar and carbs and soda. I'm talking about before gluten and before the beer bellies and before cellulite and before balding and before, you know, just gray hairs and before pimples and acne and before wrinkles. I say wrinkles. Before wrinkles and before all that stuff. I mean, this is the perfect body. So I'm really confused now because I'm like, even if God did open my eyes, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. I'd have been like, hush, 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 Hey now. Yeah, I'd have been like that. Because homeboy's got the perfect body. To the perfect body. And it was led me to this conclusion. Listen, confidence has nothing to do with the way you look, but rather the way you look at yourself. Because if the man and woman with the perfect body could find shame in them, what does that mean for you and for me? And I want to tell you this because a lot of you have a when I, then I mentality, and it's a trap. When I get to this certain number on the scale, then I will be confident. When I graduate with a diploma, then I will be confident. When I make this much money, six figures a year, then I will be confident. When I drive a Beamer, then I will be confident. When I become a homeowner, then I will be confident. But your physical appearance, working on your appearance, will do you nothing if you don't also work on your perspective. And we're caught in a culture that is all caught up in appearance, not understanding that it's really the perspective that needs an adjustment. Because I know, I know beautiful people who are insecure. And I know rich people who are insecure. And I know famous people who are insecure. It has nothing to do with what's on the outside of you, but the conversation that's happening on the inside of you. And so what's happening in that conversation? What are you telling yourself? What are you communicating? Because I love, I love God's answer to Adam and Eve's situation, because it's, it's really a question, and it's the question he's asking you today. He's saying, well, who told you that? Genesis 3.11, who told you that you were naked? I love that answer. I'm ugly. Who told you you were ugly? 
I'm poor. Who told you you were poor? I'm a nobody. But who told you you were nobody? I love that because then he asks him, have you eaten from the tree? I love it because listen, what God does when he asks us a question, by the way, it's not because he wants to learn about us. He knows us pretty well. It's because he wants us to learn about us. And so he's asking Adam the question because he's trying to connect, listen, Adam's self-view with what he's been digesting. Because a lot of times what we digest will set the standard for us, beauty-wise or adequacy-wise or whatever, cool-wise, whatever you want to call it. It's oftentimes what we're eating. So if you're digesting a lot of, you know, television and a lot of soap operas and a lot of magazines and these beautiful photoshopped women, okay, or, or these, these huge muscular WWE wrestlers. Listen, I got no problem with WWE wrestlers. We got a WWE wrestler that goes to our church. He's in WrestleMania right now. <clears throat> I love him. He comes to my small group. He showed my son naked. We're close, okay? <laughs> I got no problem with that. I'm just saying, listen, I found out something three weeks ago that made me so, feel so good about myself. Dude's big. And I told him, I said, hey, man, help me out because, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to put on some weight. I'm trying to get big myself. Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> so offensive. Security. No, I'm just kidding. I'm trying to get big myself, man. I'm trying to work out. And, so, and, he's, like, he, and he's like, yeah, man. He goes, you got to go. I go to the gym five times a day, five times a, a week. I'm like, five times a week? I'm like, dang. And I'm starting to think, well, I guess that's what it's going to take. And he said, he goes, yeah, he goes, because we only wrestle on the weekend. He goes, that's my job. I said, wait, wait, wait. You mean you're nine to five, Monday through Friday, is to go to the gym? He said, yeah. I said, well, thank you, Jesus. Because that freed me up. I didn't let his standard become my standard. We're two different people. He's got to be faithful to his calling, and i got to be faithful to mine. But if I let his calling impact the way I view my calling, if I let his standard impact the way I view my standard, if I let his definition of beauty, and in fact, my definition of beauty, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit a wall trying to live up to someone else's standard that God never called me to live up to. And so God says, and so God said, who, who are you getting this from? Because you're definitely not getting it from me. And that's the second part. There's like two questions in that question. You know, it's A, who told you? And then when he says, who told you you were naked, there's also a second version of that question, which, and who said that was wrong? Because I don't know if you caught on to it yet. Um, he made them naked. Uh, you know, so, so Adam and Eve are all putting on clothes, and they're like, I hid because I was naked. And God's like, yeah, that's the way I made you? So I'm really having a hard, I'm not following here, Adam. Um... You're naked because I made you that way. Why are you ashamed of the way God made you? Why are you ashamed of the way God made you? God, he, he, he made you that way. And I say that because we need to allow him to be the standard setter in our life. We need to allow him. And he sets the standards for our lives in two ways. One, because by the way, value is determined two ways in our world. We have intrinsic value. I'll share the second one in just a second. But the first is intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is this thing is valuable to me because it's valuable to me. It just is because of who it is or what it is, okay? The best example of that are us with our babies. Now, I know we just presented two babies, and so just bear with me. Don't leave my church after I'm, I'm going to say about what I'm about to say. And so when, I, can't, I don't get when parents come home from the doctor with the sonogram picture, and they're like, isn't he beautiful? Yes, 
He looks just like me. Really? Like, it's a black and white photo. Like, we can barely make up. Yeah, he does look like you. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Like, what is that? And then when the baby's born, the moment he or she's born, he's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. I've been there. I've seen what a baby looks like two minutes after it comes out of spending nine months in another person's body. Okay? Spoiler alert. He or she is not beautiful. Their head is shaped weird. They look like an alien, okay? Let's be honest. All newborn babies, the moment they come out of the womb, you're like, yeah, oh, what is that gonna, is that gonna even out? I need to know. Does he get some kind of helmet when he leaves here? Like, help me out, doctor. Like, it's, it's, it's not, it's just not. But you know what? It doesn't matter if I think it's beautiful. The mom and dad are head over heels. You know why? Because it's theirs. And your intrinsic value comes nothing, has nothing to do with the way you look, feel, act. It all has to do that you were made in God's image and you look like your daddy. And so when your daddy sees you on earth, he goes, mm, he's so beautiful. He's so special. He's so awesome. Really? He's a nobody. Nobody's ever going to know this guy's name. He's never going to write a book. He's never going to make a movie. Yeah, but he's mine. Yeah, but she's mine. They're mine. And that's why they're valuable because they're mine. That's intrinsic value. The other form of value is price. Now, price is just as significant as intrinsic value, if not more, because you can love a teddy bear so much. Let's assume this teddy bear has been passed into your family for 11 generations. To you, this teddy bear is worth a million dollars, but put your teddy bear on eBay. And it will not go for a million dollars because truly the worth of an object is what people are willing to pay for it. And price is really the great differentiator in our world. That's why people who drive Lexuses die. This is, um, have a different, we put them in a different echelon of, of society because of the price of that Lexus. People who wear J's and who, you know, Louis Vuitton purses. And we look at them and we, and that's honestly, that's why we want those things too. Because we're establishing our value externally by holding on to things that have a high price. And so it's the way, and it becomes a great differentiator in, in, in school. Kids are made fun of because they don't have the thing that establishes price. That, and so, so this person's got these kind of shoes, they're worth this much. This person's got these kind of shoes, they're worth this much. What's amazing, though, is that the great differentiator in the world actually becomes the great equalizer in God's kingdom. Because you want to talk about price? Hmm. Let me talk to you about price. And this is a message right now for everybody who ever felt like they can never come to church because of their conflicts. This is a message right now for anybody who ever felt like they would never fit in because everybody is so pretty and perfumed. This is a message for anybody who ever felt like the presence of God was the last place that they were supposed to be because of the way that their clothes smell or their hair smells. Let me tell you, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God because we all were bought at the very same price. All were bought at the very same price. I like to imagine a non-biblical fake scenario in my mind. I need to establish this because what I'm going to share with you is not in the Bible, but it's cool to think about, okay? I like to imagine that before the earth was ever set, the devil had all of humanity lined up and he began to barter with the Lord. And he began to ask the Lord, okay, you know, I've got control over them because that's what Adam and Eve did when they ate the fruit. Dominion came under sin, it came under death. 
And so you have the devil sitting on top of sin and death, and he's talking to God, and he's saying, all right, God, what do you want for them? Now, we do see conversations happen in the Bible between God and the devil. And so he said, God, what do you want for them? And the, person, the first person to step on the scale is Billy Graham, you know, the great evangelist who just passed away a couple weeks ago. And then, and then, and then God's like, you know, I want, I, want, I, want, I want Billy. And the devil's like, well, Billy's a big deal. Billy's going to lead millions of people to Jesus. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to give Billy up for any less than your son. And God says, done. My son, I'll do it. That's a big price, but, but for Billy, I'll do it. And then steps on the scale, the Apostle Paul. And God's like, how much you want for the Apostle Paul? And the devil's like, well, the Apostle Paul is going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. So, you know, I'm going to say it again, uh, your son. Oh, my son? Yeah, my son. Hey, all right, we'll give him. And then I step on the scale. You step on the scale. And God's like, ooh, how much you want for, for, for Jane? How much you want for JJ? How much you want for, for, for Joey? And how much you want for, for uh, Lisa? And, and, and then the devil kind of, you know, goes through all the things that they're going to do in the world. And none of it seems significant. None of it seems, he goes, you know what? Um, you got any gum? Like, uh, I'll take a pack of gum. If you got a pack of gum for these, these people ain't going to do much on this earth. I'll take a pack of gum. Would you give me that? And, and then God goes, because God is so honest, he can't even cheat the devil. He goes, you're, under, you're undervaluing. You're under pride. Here's what I'll give you. My son. And then you get off the scale and on steps an autistic child. An outcast in society. What do you want for him? Whatever you got. No, 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 no. My son. And then comes a little girl with Down syndrome. And well, how about her? Mm, my son. Think about that. We all cost the same. The millionaire and, and, and the poor person, the addict and the apostle, all bought at the same price by Jesus Christ. What? And that's why Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that no one can boast about it. It's not on you. What you do or who you are, your value has been already decided by the price that was paid for you. And I love verse 10. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out as we're going to do the cover of today's song. Verse 10 in Ephesians 2, for we are God's, say it with me, masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love that word masterpiece because it means in the Greek, the word is poema. Say poema. And it's where we get the word poem from. So significant because there were other words, there were other words that Paul could have used, better words, in fact, that Paul could have used. He's writing to the Ephesians. In Ephesus, one of the greatest forms of art was sculptures. He could have used the Greek word glypto. Say glypto. Glypto means sculpture, statue. That would have been a, a, an image that they could have understood instantly. Oh, we are God's sculpture. You know, and he probably could have preached it chiseled. You know what I'm saying? In the image of God. And he could have probably preached that message. It would have went over great. He didn't. He probably could have used the word econ. Say econ. Econ is Greek for image. It's where we get our word icon from to symbolize painting, something that the Romans would have been super familiar with. Paintings. You are God's paintings painted, but he didn't. He used the word poem. Why? Because a poem, look up here, because the word poem is the only art form that has no visual value. You never look at a poem and say, oh, it looks good. Man, the penmanship on that poem, wow. The paper that that poem is written on, good golly, Miss Molly, that is amazing. 
This is like a good poem, guys. No, because the worth of a poem is not in its visual appeal. The worth of a poem is in its structure and in its form. In other words, I know I'm preaching this, but I hope that it hits you like it hit me. In other words, if I say roses are red, you'd be like, you're a liar because <laughs> some roses are blue and some roses are white and some roses are not are purple. And, and if I say violets are blue and you're like, well, that's not true either. And if I say uh, sugar is sweet, you'd be like, well, you got me there. Sugar is sweet. And I love you. Oh, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and I love you. The beauty of it isn't until you get into the context The beauty of it isn't until you see the entire thing. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are some people who God has taken things away from you, done things, or or the enemy has done things, or God has allowed the enemy to do things to you internally, externally, in your teens. And then in your 20s, you got divorced. And then in your 30s, you got into alcohol. And now now you're pressing into your 40s, and you're thinking, the first three three decades of my life don't don't make sense. That's because you're not a picture and you're not a sculpture. You're a poem. It's not going to rhyme until the end. And then when you're 60, then when you're 50, and you look back, you go, oh, I see what you were doing. You were taking my weaknesses, and then you were going to use them for your glory and honor in my fit. Oh, I see now that breakup had to happen in my life because you were going to use that to make that. Oh, it didn't make sense when I was going through it. But now that I can look back, I can see that you had a plan, that you had a purpose. You were rhyming my life. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text JOURNEYORL to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.